Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kind of a disproportionate number of stories we've covered over the past few years from Yellowknife. Nothing wrong with covering stories from Yellowknife, but there's like 19,000 people living in Yellowknife. There's a lot of other communities that are the same size or bigger that you don't hear us cover at all. But that's not where these stories originated. They just happened to come from Yellowknife. You remember these stories? There's the one about a reporter who was covering a criminal trial who was just violently ejected out of the courthouse by like a team of law enforcement agents. They just trampled him out of the building. There was the one about the reporter who was banned from RCMP press conferences because they didn't like his journalism. They thought his journalism was biased against him and they didn't like his, uh, quote, disrespectful tone. There was the one about the reporter who got arrested and charged by the RCMP while he was photographing the RCMP at a crime site. So the thing about all of those stories out of Yellowknife is that they are all about the same reporter. His name's John McFadden. He is a veteran reporter for the Yellowknifer newspaper. And uh, I have been trying to get a hold of this guy to interview him for, for months now. And he joins me from Yellowknife in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jonathan Doda, Sean Chen, Alex Hosselet, Max Stern, Molly Cronin, Catherine Johnston, Robert Cowan, and Johanna Mansonen. Johanna, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I like listening to Canadian podcasts. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the initial sponsor of this whole Canada Land thing. Guys, this is the time of year where before I was using FreshBooks, I would start to get very anxious and nervous and feeling like I was just evading responsibility because I, I knew that tax time was coming and that I was ill-prepared and that there was this awful chore ahead of me that I just didn't want to do. And I now live without that anxiety. It's just a whole bucket of bad feelings that has gone from my life because FreshBooks makes tax time so incredibly simple. It will instantly add up what you've earned, how much HST you've taken in, how much you've put out. It'll spit everything out in a format that is super easy, super compatible with what you have to do with your tax returns, whether you're doing them or somebody else. It's just a breeze. You press a few buttons and that chore is off your plate and you're fine. 
FreshBooks is an accounting department for people and small businesses that can't afford accounting departments. It is incredibly powerful and it is stupidly easy to use. 30 days for free, no credit card required. If and when you decide to become a customer, tell them that CanadaLand sent you. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. You will be doing this show a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. John, I understand you've had some trouble with the law. Yes, I guess you could say that. <laughs> you want to start at the beginning? Well, sure. Um, I came to Yellowknife to be the news director for what is now known as the Moose Radio Station, CJCD-FM. That was in November 2012 is when I started. And in September of 2013, to September 17th to be exact, I had gone to the Yellowknife Courthouse to cover a bail hearing for a 17-year-old girl who was charged with murder. But as I lined up uh, to get into the courthouse that day, it was being held in a fairly small courthouse, the sheriff said to me, you can't bring your knapsack, your backpack, into the courtroom. And I said, well, it's the tools of my trade. It's my notepad and my pen and my tape recorder in case I need to do any interviews afterwards. And he was quite adamant and uh, not very friendly about it that under no circumstances would I be bringing that backpack into the courtroom. And I, I was a little put off just, just because of his attitude. He, uh, you know, he said, well, you can leave it out here. And I said, well, I'm not leaving my backpack uh, in the hallway of a courthouse. There tends to be a few characters in a courthouse, obviously, as you know, Jesse, and uh, I didn't want to do that. So luckily for me, a colleague of mine uh, who worked for a different radio station was good enough to uh, put the backpack in his vehicle while I held his spot in line because we knew that if we got out of this lineup, we weren't going to get into this courtroom. But my feathers were ruffled right off the hop. And it, I just got the sense from this sheriff, and that's what they call the court security officers up here as sheriffs, uh, that he just didn't want me in that courtroom. That was the sense that I got from him. Nonetheless, the bail hearing started and uh, I was there for, I'm going to say a little over an hour and nature called. So I left and didn't see that sheriff to tell him that I'd be back. Uh, went to use the washroom, came back and uh, he said, oh no, I, I gave your seat away. And he said it quite smugly. And frankly, uh, he seemed pretty pleased with himself that he uh, had given away my seat in the courtroom. And uh, I said, well, I'll stand at the back. No, you can't can't do that. And I said, well, I need to speak to your supervisor then. And uh, I said that to him a couple of times. I need the name of your boss. I need your supervisor's name. And the next thing I know, he had grabbed me uh, by the shoulders and he was pushing me and I could hear my shirt ripping and I thought to myself, what is going on here? And so I planted my feet just a little bit, just, just enough to make sure that, uh, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't go down. And he at that time got very aggressive, uh, pushed me down one hallway, down another hallway and into the heavy glass door leading to the street. Uh, and in fact, through that first door and then head first into a second glass door, I saw a friend later who abandoned. Uh, me up and she said no no you look like you've lost a fight and uh, uh frankly that's what i felt like too i can tell our listeners i'm watching a video of this right now and we can talk later about how the video came to be uh, made public and you're not exaggerating from what i can see here like at first it's just like you're getting the bums rush out the door but once you get to the vestibule it gets really ugly and it looks like it looks like you're you got a real bash to the noggin and then there's these three big dudes on top of you and it's 
kind of hard to tell what's being done at that point, but it, it it's violent. It, it is violent. I mean, there's a, I don't think anybody can argue that. And I feel fortunate that I wasn't seriously hurt because if you see my head hit that glass door with no way to brace myself, I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that I could have broken my neck. Luckily for both myself and for him, I didn't. You know, we're just getting warmed up here. This is the first of many stories, but uh, without getting too bogged down into the he said, he said of this, uh, the Justice Department found that the sheriff didn't do anything wrong. How did you come to, I guess, lose this decision? It's, it's a good question, Jesse. So I didn't do anything about it initially. So I, they finally let me up. The They let me out of handcuffs. And the RCMP officer, who was about 23, I'm going to guess, said to me, you shouldn't be here. She's only 17. It doesn't matter that she's 17. You don't get to decide whether a reporter can cover a 17-year-old girl's bail hearing when she's charged with murder. I know the Youth Criminal Justice Act, and I believe that it supersedes your scant few months likely in the business. And that's when I actually got angry and realized that both the sheriff and this RCMP officer felt that it was their job to keep me out of this courtroom and to censor at least my radio station when it came to reporting on this girl's bail hearing, which again is just just outrageous and something that if it happened in Toronto or any any major center in Canada would be would be front page news and, and as I say is frankly just outrageous. I explained to him that he didn't know what he was talking about and he he was wrong and that I had every right to be in that courtroom. They made me leave the courthouse. Like they talked about charging me and they said, well, if you leave we won't charge you. Now, I almost wish they had to charge me because I really don't know what they would have charged me with, but uh, they never did say that. They just said, if you leave now, we we won't charge you. So I did. I left and I literally went back to my radio station and told them that I'd fallen off my bike. But as I thought about it and as I spoke to two MLAs, members of the Legislative Assembly uh, over beverages about a month later, they said, oh no, you absolutely have to report this because this fellow could be doing this on a daily basis and you can't uh, not tell his superiors what he has done so I did so and I asked for $120 for my ripped clothing I, I literally had worn the best clothes I owned at the time that day so I met with four government officials three of them from the Justice Department uh, I didn't sign a document but I was presented with a document where they acknowledged that they would give me $120 they didn't assign blame to me and they didn't uh, accept blame on their own behalf they didn't apologize but they agreed to give me 120 dollars no, no harm no foul go buy some new pants and yeah that's right I, I think i spent it on beer but that's neither here nor there i got 120 bucks out of them anyhow i didn't ask them what disciplinary <clears throat> measures they had taken or what they had told this sheriff about his actions i mean they as i said they didn't say that i had done anything wrong i went on my merry way with my check for 120 dollars Two years later, <clears throat> the senior communications advisor for the Justice Department of the Northwest Territories, I'm not going to say her name, the senior communications advisor and Dave Bedini. Dave, Dave Bedini uh, of the Rio Static uh, Band and, and uh, National Post columnist, sure. Correct. They were in the drive through at McDonald's and he asked her about this incident uh, where I had been uh, allegedly assaulted in the courthouse and she just made the th- made it up that I was that the judge was upset. She made it sound like it started in the courtroom itself, which it did not. She then said it, that I had tripped over my own feet and furthermore that it wasn't going to go well for me in my current court case. So this is a Justice Department official 
making a prediction on the outcome of a case that was before the courts. I, I think most people can understand the ethic mistake that that was on her part. Nonetheless, Bedini told me what she had said, in fact, gave me his uh, notes transcribed, and I kind of lost my mind. I mean, this was two years after the incident, and here it was being painted as pretty much my fault. So she also said that she knew all this because she had seen the video, and I, I knew nothing of any video. I probably should have. I knew there was court, uh, uh, cameras in the hallway of that courthouse, but I had never asked to see a video and never knew of the existence of a video. So I asked for the video, and they denied me access to it, so I uh, went through the Freedom of Information and Privacy Commissioner, and in fact was awarded a copy of the video. They let me see the video. I went and saw the video with my lawyer and my boss, and then I said, well, I want a copy of this, and no. So I went and I saw the Deputy Justice Minister. He and I had had a working relationship for several years. He'd been in a different department, and he said, I'll make it happen. So he, he got me a dub of the original courthouse video, which is the one that you have seen, took it to the CBC, they aired it, and then they followed up with the Justice Department. Well, what did you do about this? And they had said, nope, the security officer did nothing wrong. This guy had caused a problem. It's too bad that he was hurt and had his clothes ripped, but that's the way she goes. And uh, and again, I'm, those aren't quotes, but that's essentially what uh, one of the courthouse officials said. It seems like they're they're ticked that I would release this video to the to the media and and this was their response that uh, he got what he deserved is essentially how is how I've interpreted what they've had to say about it and, and and it hasn't sat well with me Jesse I don't mind telling you all right well we're jumping forward in time and skipping a bunch of stuff that happened um, let, let's just back up a little bit going back to just just uh, right after the uh, the incident at the courthouse so here you are It'll be years before the video is released, years before this is actually dealt with formally, and eventually they'll just say that this was handled appropriately, even after the video is made public. But at this time, you've just been violently ejected by the courthouse. They end up giving you $120 to uh, to buy some new pants uh, or to make up for your ripped pants. And then there was another incident involving the reporting of this uh, break and entering and uh, sexual assault. That's right. In between when that incident happened and getting the actual video, I switched jobs. I left the radio station and moved over to the newspaper in town. The news release came in and it said that a fellow had been charged with break and enter and sexual assault after a woman's apartment had been broken into and, and she'd been sexually assaulted. And further, we're charging him with another sexual assault and a break and enter, which happened two weeks ago. I knew that it was incumbent upon the RCMP to have warned the public because a man had uh, broken into a woman's apartment and sexually assaulted her and gotten away with it. Well, I, it seems to me that logical policing would say, well, we have we, we've got to put out a news release. We haven't caught the guy, but we need to at least warn the public that this guy is out there. I immediately went to two women's advocates in Yellowknife and said, you know, these guys uh, caught this guy, but he, but he did this to weeks ago or he's alleged to have done this two weeks ago and they put out no warning at all to the public and, and the women of Yellowknife and they both lost their minds and they were the genesis of my story they were the essence of my story I didn't say that I had a problem with this these two uh, advocates for females in Yellowknife did obviously 
they didn't like the story. The headline read, RCMP failed to warn uh, Yellowknifers about sexual assault. Yeah, but that's that's no small... Like, How many people live in Yellowknife? Like 20,000. 20, 20,000 people. There's a, there's a B&E and a sexual assault, and the, and the RCMP failed to tell the community... And then the same person does it again. I mean, it was one of the easiest stories, Jesse, that I've ever done. It was it was literally gift wrapped for me for by the RCMP. And I said to them at the time, why did you not warn the public about a on the loose sexual predator and it turns out this guy was in jail for a vicious daylight sexual assault and had just gotten out of jail when he did this the the the, the first of these two yeah. later ones uh, and again i guess about this time of year 2015 and they said well we didn't have a suspect and we didn't want to alarm the public and they say that a lot up here we don't want to alarm the public and i said well if you didn't have a suspect that might be reason to more reason frankly to to put out the news release this business of alarming the public that i feel you might have a duty to warn the public let the public decide whether they should be scared or not that's not your call listen listen you're exhaustively defending this story i got to tell you i mean i mean you know you covered in Toronto, every day we, we have reports like that here, that there was the, there was an alleged assault on this street. Everybody watch out. There's somebody who's out on the loose. That's just that's just like a, the, the daily business of municipal reporting here. Absolutely. And again, I knew that they didn't divulge information to the level that they did in Toronto. But here was a situation where a warning needed to go out to the public and it didn't. And uh, I was I was happy to write a story that pointed that out. And when I say happy, I, I believe that I was helping particularly the women of Yellowknife, understand what had gone on here. And I, I said to the RCMP, well, did you did you call the jail? Did you call the North Slave Correctional Center to see who had just gotten out of jail? Because you've said you didn't have a suspect. Well, that would be the first thing I would do is call the jail who just got out. I mean, if, 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 if we have a sexual offender who was just released from jail, that might be the first place you'd look. And they wouldn't tell me. They wouldn't discuss whether they'd call the jail or not. But two weeks later, they held a news conference and admitted that they had screwed it up and that they were changing their protocols whereby when a dangerous offender, whether they be a sexual offender or a violent offender, gets released from the North Slave Correctional Center, if they felt he was a risk to reoffend, they would warn the public of that. And and secondly, that they would, if there was a, a sexual assault or, or, or some form of violence, that they would do a news release and, and, uh, and let the public know that. And we've already seen where they have failed in that regard. But nonetheless, the point is, I wrote my story. Two weeks later, they, they had a news conference and change their protocol and i feel quite strongly 99.9 percent for sure even though they wouldn't admit it the police wouldn't but it was on the basis of my story that they changed their their protocols i'm sure they got some heat for it sure john mcfadden gets results and uh i i i doubt they thank you for it though. i wish they had of but they didn't so now you've had these two altercations with them uh you know they roughed you up then and then you wrote a story that that really publicly embarrassed them I mean, it seems like there were repercussions. By April of 2015, my relationship with the media relations officer had deteriorated where she wasn't returning my calls. And I was quite frustrated with this. I was the police reporter for the newspaper and the media relations officer for the RCMP wouldn't talk to me. There wasn't much I could do about it. Uh, and my bosses didn't do a whole lot about it either. They just sort of waited for, for things to change. But I, I went to go to a news conference where they'd made a drug bust. 
So in other words, I, I felt, well, they'll have to speak to me now. And sure enough, they barred me from this news conference. And I think that's when Canada Land first got wind of me and, and who I am, in that nobody's ever heard of a, of a reporter being barred from an RCMP news conference. But I showed up at the door. I was I, I just happened to arrive at the same time as a CBC videographer, a colleague and friend of mine. And the media relations officer said, no, you're, you're not coming in. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, because of your disrespectful and unprofessional conduct. And I just went, well, okay, whatever. And walked back to work, told my bosses, my, my two uh, senior editors, they both dropped everything and drove straight up to the RCMP headquarters and said, what disrespectful and unprofessional conduct? Well, they came up with one email that I think you guys have, uh, have um, published on Canada Land that had please and thank you and, and was courteous and not disrespectful and not unprofessional at all. Sure, there might have been a couple of tough questions asked in it, but that's the job of a police report. So in my boss's words, not only was there no smoking gun, there was no gun. And that's when we started to realize that they were ticked about this story of months earlier uh, where I had called them out and that this was their, this was going to be their way of getting back at me by barring me from their news conference. Well, that, that's what, you know, alerted us to this as, as a story, you know, just covering the media and its relationship with, with authority, with law enforcement, the, the, this kind of like almost like a principle saying, we don't like your attitude. Uh, you know, w- w- which maybe would be justified if you had been really, you know, truculent and obstinate or offensive to them. The email showed just the opposite. And, you know, we speculated, as you are here, that the the actual thing they took offense to was your coverage of them, your critical coverage. But we needn't speculate because later on, uh, CBC reporter Richard Gleason built on our work and was kind enough to credit us uh, for kicking this off. And he atipped the email correspondence between the RCMP, the local Yellowknife RCMP, and their superiors in Ottawa around what the hell to do about you. And those emails are are a riot to read. And they're chilling because you've got this situation where these local RCMP officers, and, and one in particular, basically saying to Ottawa, don't worry, uh, we're just cutting this guy off. You don't have to worry about this to the communications people in Ottawa. And Ottawa seems a little bit... Uh, a little bit nonplussed at first to say, look, we always try to work with media and we're bound to provide them with timely information. They wanted to preserve the relationship. I'm, I'm just reading from their own emails. And, and, and Yellowknife said, there is no relationship. There's no relationship to protect with this guy. In those emails, one of the civilian communications people, and in fact, the woman who we now get our information from, she is a civilian, she suggested cutting off the newspaper entirely. So, again, if, if you could think, Jesse, of a, of a you know, Toronto police saying, we're not going to release our news releases and speak to the Toronto Star anymore, that, that would be the equivalent in Toronto. I mean, here's where we're getting at a bigger principle is that, you know, we got an environment here where there's confusion within the federal police about whether or not they need to like let media in or whether should the coverage be critical if that's justification to not allow the media in. I think we got a quote from the beginning saying, we don't see why it's in our interest to let this guy in, which is uh, such a strange. Now, okay, if you've got sort of, you know, how else can I put it? Uh, an ignorant Mountie who doesn't understand that it's not really up to them uh, working in Yellowknife, that's one thing. But some of the communication that came back from Ottawa was equally chilling. I mean, first they were being pretty reasonable and they were saying, you know, look, if, if you don't like this guy, you could lodge an official complaint. 
and in fact, the Yellowknifer is a member of the uh, Alberta News Media Council, so there is a, there is a place to complain to. And Yellowknife didn't seem to know about that. They thought the only option was to was to blacklist you. But then there was some correspondence from Ottawa from this uh, one Paul Green, who's now an RCMP spokesperson in New Brunswick, who said, "Well, you know, there's always going to be biased reporters out there. We need to work at going around the media more and more." <laughs> I, I can only laugh because I don't I just don't know what that means. But sure. OK, if that's what their attitude is, fine. Well, it's it's really strange. There's a federal police force having this conversation about whether or not they I mean, this is like the deal between a free press and law enforcement. Wouldn't these guys know this, that as pesky and irritating and annoying as reporters like you just got to find a way to deal with them? Because they are who they are and we are who we are. You know, this case off in Yellowknife has revealed this correspondence where they're kind of questioning the deal. Do, do we really need to keep doing that? I, I found it fascinating. It's amazing how these, you know, this very remote instance uh, can, can give us some insight into that. These folks don't think that that's any of our business. It's not the public's business and it's not the media's business. It's only their business. Whether this guy got away with this, whether he's still on the streets, whether he's going to do it again, whether we should warn the public, that's of our concern and it's not of the media's concern and the public doesn't need to know that there's a sexual predator on their streets. So after I read what they had said, it made a lot more sense why they never issued this warning style news release in the first place. Okay. Well, I can't imagine that they liked reading about themselves in Canada land and later in the CBC after we made a thing of it. Um, but did that help you at all? Were you able to get just come do your job again? Did well, that's very interesting that you should ask that question because as soon as the story hit Canada land, within days, I called up the media relations officer and I addressed her as constable and I just was like, well... Where this is going to have to go all formal now. I'm not going to be calling her by her first name anymore. I'm just going to. And she said, you can call me by my first name. And everything went back to the way it was prior to the banning of from the news conference. Prior, prior, in fact, prior to about a month or so before that. The relationship returned to normal. She was taking my calls. She was doing her best to provide me with information. I can't say that it was because of the Canada Land story. I can say that it was directly after very within days after your story running on Canada land that everything changed whether that came from higher up whether she realized that barring me from a news conference was the wrong way to go and let's try and repair this relationship I can't say but all I know is that within days everything returned to normal so on the 4th of July uh, 2015 I was downtown socializing and uh, when I say socializing and again this is all in the court transcripts from the trial I'd had a couple of beers I'd had two beers it was midnight the issue of your sobriety would later become a matter before the court that, that, that's right but uh we'll, we'll deal with that in a second nonetheless i come out front of a downtown bar i just happen to walk outside as the same time as the mayor of Yellowknife did i took two drags off my cigarette said good night to him and said i gotta go see what this is all about because there was a huge police presence across the street and down a little bit and when i say a huge police presence for Yellowknife, at least anyhow so uh, a police cruiser is parked diagonally blocking one lane of traffic and the there's at least one other cruiser there, lights flashing, several officers in the area. There was no police tape out, so I walked behind a big white cargo van that seemed to be the, the center of their investigation. And the first officer that saw me said, what the F do you want? You shouldn't be here. Get the F out of here. And I was taken aback because... 
I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't broken any laws. There was no police tape up. I couldn't know what they were up to. I was walking first across a street and then onto a sidewalk, and this is what he said to me. And I was stunned. And I thought, boy, I mean, I'm all I am is a member of the public, and this is the way you're talking to me? So I went and got my camera, walked up, and started taking pictures. Again, no police tape, nothing preventing me from staying on this public sidewalk and taking photos. And the first officer came right up to me and said, no, 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 no pictures. That's obstruction. And I said, it's not obstruction. And you can't stop me from taking these photographs. I'm standing on a public sidewalk. So they kind of huddle up a little bit. There's four officers. And then one officer comes back to me and says, yep, you can take all the photographs you want, John. Just don't get in our way. Had you told them your first name? How do they How do they know your name? I know that one officer had dealt with me in the past. He and I had uh, crossed paths when I'd had a break in at my own um, cabin in Yellowknife. So he did, in fact, know who I was. The senior officer, oddly enough, did not testify at trial. I'm not sure why that was. She was the one that first said, you can't take photographs of us. That's obstruction. Nonetheless, I take 20 photographs. And the reason I took 20 photographs and people would say, well, why would you need so many photographs? And I'll, I, I don't mind telling you that this was a big white 1990s cargo van with the side windows painted over with black paint. It looked, there was so much junk inside of it you you didn't know whether it was a, a band equipment or tools or both or just exactly what was in this van but again the windows blackened over with paint alberta plates all i thought to myself jesse was boy if a person was ever going to abduct a, a person uh, this would be the vehicle you would use to do it in and as you know we have a issue with missing and murdered indigenous females in canada and that's an acute issue here in the yellow knife in yellow knife in the northwest territories in that half of our population is is indigenous and you know I wanted to I was making sure that there wasn't somebody tied up in the back of that van I could have had a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph uh, had had I taken that photograph so that's why I took 20 photographs I probably if, if they'd have been able to say to me John this is a traffic stop we think that his license plates might be stolen and that's all it is you take a couple of pictures but that's going to be all you need that's all there is to it I would have done that and walked away but not only is it the way it's policy of Yellowknife RCMP that they do not speak to the media. They're forbidden by policy from saying anything other than the media relations officer. So after I take the 20th photograph, they come up and arrest me and say, no, you, you've obstructed us. You're charged with obstruction of a police officer. Uh, put in the back of the police vehicle, handcuffs on extremely tightly, I might add. They take my camera I'm in the cells for the better part of three hours. Uh, finally, I, I never asked to speak to a lawyer. I thought, well, this should be an in and out, and this is a shame this has happened, but surely they're not going to hold me for any great length of time. They did. They held me for the better part of three hours. They let me out. I tried to call a lawyer. Now it's about three o'clock in the morning. The, the whole incident started at about midnight. I can't get a lawyer. I finally phoned my own MLA, and I think they can hear this through the door, and finally they release me. But this is after they have taken one photograph, the final photograph that I had taken, which was closer to the van, uh, but not with the camera inside the van, not with the camera touching the van. I never touched the van. I know not to put my fingerprints on a van that's being searched. But their, their contention was this final photograph of the 20 was taken too close to the van, and that, in fact, obstructed their investigation. There's a fl red flag here that they're taking uh, they're taking the shots off of your camera. I mean, like people are filming cops for a lot of different reasons these days. And uh, if they can arrest you for filming them and then they can, uh, you know, 
take the images off of your device? What if they saw something there that they didn't like uh, documenting their own behavior? At any point in this, did you say that you're from the media? I'm sure I had said at some point, I'm, I'm John McFadden from the Yellow Knifer newspaper. Like, I had identified myself as media. There's no doubt about it to all the officers at the scene. And I guess what I should mention as well, so I'm taking these photographs, and that's when one of them said, you're John McFadden, aren't you? And that's when I knew that these guys knew who I was, knew I was report the reporter who had been barred from the news conference and had written a, a story that didn't reflect well upon them. I knew then that they knew who I was, is what I meant. And I could yeah. tell by their reaction that they didn't think much of me being there and taking photographs but that they had also realized that there was nothing that they could do about it or so I thought at that time but you're quite right Jesse they had my camera they could have destroyed all the photographs off of it they didn't they took the one photograph that they insisted showed me be obstructing them but it but it was still in my camera they, they obviously made a copy for themselves they didn't take any of the photographs and remove them or delete them or erase them them, but no warrant. I suppose, you know, I, I'm asking you as if it's this really burning issue. I mean, you know, we, from our point of view, yeah, we're supposed to identify ourselves as press. From their point of view, there's nothing legally different about a, a civilian, you know, which technically journalists are taking photographs and, and a journalist. And, and you know, I, I'm citing these uh, cell phone videos of cops killing people as a reason why this is problematic. Well, the people who shoot those videos, almost all of them were not journalists. So kind of doesn't matter from their point of view. It's, it's a bit more of a professional concern of ours. Anybody. If you're standing on a public sidewalk and there's no police tape and you haven't crossed it, anybody could take video or still pictures of, of police activity. And frankly, they should. I encourage them to. And you're quite right. Thank God we don't see it in Canada like we do in the United States. But I think of Robert Jakansky at the Vancouver airport as, a, as the prime example in this country, where if that hadn't have been on video, I mean, the RCMP officers still lied about it, uh, even though they tasered a man to death and it was caught on video. So again, I encourage people to do that, particularly if they're concerned that uh, police might be be doing something that they shouldn't be doing. But, you know, the police tape is in your trunk. You're the RCMP in Yellowknife. You're a police officer. You're not, you're, not, you're not special. You're not really royal and you're not mounted. You're not riding a horse anymore. I sometimes get from some of these officers, and again, not all of them. I want to make that clear, that it's some of them that feel that they're special police officers and they don't need to use police tape. They can they can tell the public to F off and get out of here because we're, we're cops and we're in Yellowknife. And all they had to do was put up their police tape, and none of this would have happened in the first place. And the judge said as much, frankly. Yeah, well, let's let's skip ahead to that because I know the actual legal proceedings can get a little bit uh, a little bit procedural, and without getting lost in the weeds, uh, you were exonerated. The, the, the charges did not hold up against you. The ruling was pretty damning towards the officers. Uh, the judge ruled that the the cops in question were evasive, if not obstinate. And that all three who testified against you showed a certain willingness to exaggerate during their testimony, making it hard for the judge to completely trust them as witnesses. Talking about police officers, federal police officers. I mean, John, it's just one thing after the other. It's after that trial that your uh, your battle to get your hands on the tape of you being roughed up in the courthouse years earlier uh, is successful. And, and, and that tape embarrasses them, uh, if not the RCMP, law, the law enforcement community, the, the sheriff, and then there is a Mountie at the end of this tape. That story made its, its way around. I can't imagine living in a community as small as Yellowknife knowing that I had such an adversarial relationship 
with the uh, local constabulary. Uh, I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier you needed the cops when when your house got broken into. Other things can happen. Like, are you going to be taking on like one of these starlight tours? Like, how is this going to end for you? Fair question, but I, I think not. And again, I, I want to be clear. The 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 three officers that testified in my case, um, I agree. Like, I, I had to sit there and listen to them. I had no witnesses to the actual event. We we appealed. We put the uh, photographs that I had taken on Facebook. We had a couple of other civilians in my photographs i think two in total only the the police had said that i had incited a crowd well there was no crowd there's no crowd in any of my photographs but we tried very hard to get a witness we were unable to do so so my lone witness was the female that i was with who testified as to how much i had to drink the judge agreed with her the judge agreed with me the judge didn't agree with the three officers at all and as you've you've laid out the reasons why he didn't and i mean they lost but we'll we'll do them the the favor of uh, they they basically said you came out of the bar drunk and belligerent you were you were you were there was a crowd of 20 people you were inciting them into some sort of a fervor against the cops their story was that you actually were making it hard for them to do their jobs and that's why they had to arrest you that did not hold up in court no and and <laughs> no it it didn't, and the reason it didn't is because it isn't true. I don't think I'm going to worry too much about elaborating beyond that. The only thing that I said to any member of the public other than the police officers that were there was that I've asked them what's going on here, and they won't tell me. That's the only thing I said to anybody. I did speak to the officers. I asked them why they were blocking off the street and searching this van, but the business of inciting a crowd was malarkey. I'll be honest with you, Jesse. I'm 54 years old. My hearing is isn't what it once was I said in fact it's been poor well I had tubes in my ear when I was ears when I was four years old I spent too many who concerts up beside the stage I'm a radio broadcaster by trade I do project my voice is louder than it needs to be but I don't realize that because I don't hear very well but the point is is that uh, just like the incident at the courthouse this business of me being belligerent and loud is I don't accept it I don't accept it at all and frankly uh, shouting in public is is not a uh, depending upon what you're saying is not a criminal offense anyhow. So yeah, well, and and uh, judge didn't buy it either. But but okay, so you know, <laughs> look that behind you. Then the video comes out. I'll ask you again. Like you say, you're 54 years old. Are are you scared walking the streets? Like no, you're you're no no one could say that you haven't uh, kind of like done your job uh, and and, and kind of come back for more after taking your knocks. Are you looking for another change of scenery? Like, I would be worried to live in such a small community if I were loathed by the local cops. Right. Let's put it this way. I'm not going to leave Yellowknife until I have a better job to go to. And it's not that I'm not looking. I'm always looking. Uh, If something comes along, I'll certainly consider it. But for the time being, I'm happy here. I have lots of friends. Uh, It's been very interesting the way the town and the the city rather has uh, viewed this. Some people couldn't care less that I was found not guilty. They don't believe you should poke your head into the the police is business whether you're media or not others fully support me and say boy you've really been given a hard uh, rough go in your time here in in Yellowknife I mean I have not asked any questions that I wouldn't have asked in Toronto or Peterborough or anywhere else all I've done is be a police reporter the same way I did it in southern Ontario and I've been barred from news conferences beat up by a court officer a court security officer and uh, arrested by the RCMP nobody likes to be called out when they've made mistakes but 
but when when they have made mistakes, it's my job to do so and 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 report on their their activities. So uh, I, I'm I'm not in a panic rush to leave. Having said that, if something else comes along, I've been here for over four years now. I've learned an awful lot about the North, which I encourage all people from Southern Canada to do because you're it's a real eye opener. I'm glad I came here. I can deal with this and I can move forward, and that's what I intend to do. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can reach me at jesse at canadalandshow.com anytime I read what you send me. I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. People, by the time you are hearing this, I will already be off on vacation. So Thursday will be a guest host and Monday, Ashley Chinati. She is going to be fantastic. You do not want to miss these episodes. This episode was produced by Katie Jensen. Katie is leaving us after two years here. She has produced 139 episodes of this show and others. She is the founding producer of The Imposter. We could not be, we would not be where we are without her. We owe her an immense debt of gratitude. If you like anything you've heard on our network over the years, chances are she produced it. Katie, we will miss you. And I am green with envy over whoever gets to work with you next. Thank you, Katie Jensen. Also want to thank Robert Hiltz, who has been filling in as our interim news editor. He has done a fantastic job. And if he lived in Toronto, he would continue doing it. But he lives in Montreal. That's where you can find him. Thank you, Robert, for everything you've done. We now welcome Jonathan Goldsby as our permanent news editor here in our offices in Toronto. Next Imposter is on Wednesday. Shortcuts with Ashley is on Thursday. If you like what we do, please support us. In France, in the 13th century, a teenager ascends the throne. He seems calm, collected, and as it happens, drop-dead gorgeous. But looks can be deceiving, and no one is ready for the death, destruction, and chaos that lie ahead. Step inside the reign of one of the Middle Ages' most cold-blooded rulers on This Is History presents The Iron King. Available wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>